Okay. Here we go. I thought we, yeah. I thought you had added something. Re- you, I thought we were more neck and neck than that. Well, here we go. No more questions. Let's just f- do this. <laughs> Happy Halloween, P4 Peers, and my good friend, Tony Arkin. Happy Halloween, Maddie, and to all of you listeners out there. This is our, now, we can say this, annual Halloween special. Um, it is Halloween time as we record this, heading into Halloween weekend. Uh, we've shared Halloween memories in the past, and uh, we've covered very spooky movies today. We're going to go with a classic nightmare on elm street it needs no introduction but we figured let's have some halloween fun and deal with a uh, movie that you all know and if you haven't seen it in a long time hopefully this will be a nice refresher course as fletch once said um and we hope you're well and hope you're getting ready for halloween what's become and fastly becoming my favorite holiday tony on the calendar actually yeah i'm in lockstep with you I think it's probably been my favorite for a long time. What mm. do, do you sound like you, you changed up your holiday favorites pretty recently? Yeah. I mean, it was definitely, I mean, I, I think Christmas is still the goat for me. I had a wonderful Christmas Eve celebration here in my house last year with friends from town. I've never hosted any sort of Christmas thing. It was always at my mother's house was open to all people came in and out. It was just like, it's a wonderful life childhood in the eighties. Um, a lot of adult drinking some bare knuckle boxing, some violence, but it was all magic because in the morning Santa came and that's all that mattered. Sure. We were battered and bruised a little bit and there was some dysfunction, but uh, put my presence, you know what I'm saying? That's all there is to it. And now as an adult, I finally hosted a Christmas Eve last year. It was magic. We all toasted. So Christmas still the goat, but as I get older, I'm enjoying the fall. My, I mentioned this last year, my street closes down and becomes a parade for the children on the street who all dress up. We do a potluck at the end of my street, which ends right on my street on the water. It's like, it's like a, uh, Hubie Halloween episode or something. It's just magic. Well, it's, it's one of those holidays that, that, that seems to have no division in it. Like it's mm. non-denominational. Anybody mm-hmm. can appreciate it or not. It's mm-hmm. like, you can ignore it and, and that's fine. The people that celebrate it don't get offended if you're ignoring right. it. True. You know, nobody has to say happy Halloween. It's appreciated when you do. Nobody right. feels left out. It's, it's like, it's just, it seems to be, uh, of all other than like Valentine's day, maybe the least divisive, uh, holiday that we have. You make a good point. Although I do Halloween a little differently. I go door to door to this day. I don't trick or treat. I try to convert people to Christianity. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, maybe yours is not as divisive. Yeah, no, I, I don't choose, celebrate that way. I have a different I way do. of celebrating. I mm. wear a tie and I just go door to door with pamphlets. So you, you, you take, you're combating evil during Halloween actively. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's why you it's know, so special to me. This doesn't that surprise me as much as you might hope that it would. I go, you keep your candy. I'm mm-hmm. offering salvation. This explains the rise in uh, in abnormal and um, hyperactive positivity I've seen in you in the last year. It's unhealthy. Favorite moment on the show in the history of the show. That's when I, I I thought I was getting away with trolling you, um, pretending to do like a sincere speech about my New Year's resolutions, and there's a long pause. You go, your eyes are so scary right now. <laughs> well, I call it like I see it. All right, we've got a lot of business before we get to our Nightmare on Elm Street review. Um, first of all, yes, we have mail. We have messages. Our top three tonight, based on Nightmare on Elm Street, will be top three sweaters in film history. Top three sweaters. So get your list together. See what we missed. Um, That's cardigans, pullovers, cashmeres, um, you know, but they have to be sweaters. We're not doing... I don't think we're doing fleece and we're certainly not doing uh, like sweatshirts. No. Right? And in fact, we've done top three coats and hats. Yeah. So you got to be so, very specific. Yes. This is sweaters and we all know what a sweater is. It's like porn. We know it when we see it, what's inappropriate. Okay. So let's get into some of the business we have at hand. First of all, uh, now, associate producer Kerrig, 
updated our list of films, Tony, in the run of this podcast, who has accepted what? And so we must do an update on that list because I looked at our keepers. Now, if you're new to the show, Tony and I rate and review the movies. And at the end, we rate it P for paranormal, meaning yes, it's on our shelf. It's a recommendation or no P for pass. No, thank you. We're each allowed to keep five all timers. Tony, you are now at four. You have kept Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind documentary. You have kept Brand New Cherry Flavor, which I hated, you loved. You had Ghostbusters 2, but then removed it. So you're still only at two. So why do you have to bring that one up if it's removed? You make it sound worse for me when you well, do that. Well, I'm just counting. I'm like the count. Well, then one, I have to go forward and backwards. So just oh, 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 don't oh, count oh. it. And then we're the same place. Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein you kept. So now you're at three. And number four for you was in the earth. So you are getting close to, you know, your fifth choice, which means you'll have to start eliminating after the fifth choice if you want to keep another movie. I'm not scared I of you, was, Blake. I was only one behind you. However, I am going to make a removal of something that I kept, but Kerrig made a great reminder to us. He said, there's an asterisk on this. Maddie said he's going to remove this from his keeper shelf after he watches the finale. And if he hates the finale, it's coming off. It all depends on the finale. I'm talking, of course, about Stranger Things season four. Well, I watched the finale and I was so dismayed and disappointed. It's coming off the shelf. So the count is now four to two. I only have two keepers. You have four. And that might come into play later in this episode. I can tell you that right now. So Stranger Things finale was so disappointing to me. I was watching it going, the only way they can get out of this is a deus ex machina with no justification, just bring the villain back. I'm like, that's, I'm thinking that to myself, like, unless they think of something that's so awesome and I haven't thought of, and they just sucker punch me and they do a great job. I'm the patsy here. And no, they just, oh, it's over. Nope. Killer's back. And we'll just do it again. And I was so disappointed and sorry if that's a spoiler alert the show's been up for a, here's how a year. i feel about it i yeah. i think i watched the end of the fourth season but i don't know if i did i actually no couldn't more. tell you if i saw it or not bingo bingo um so there there's my answer uh we have a little mail here let's check some mail and now it's time to hear from you you're a godsend a savior no i'm i'm just the postman the p4p mailbag noreen first time reaching out says loved your review of the power had never seen it based on your rec checked it out i think it was a little more creepy than you guys seem to think it was uh i and let me just amend here my own interjection i, I think we both found it creepy at times i think we both said that yes i was sufficiently creeped out by the first yeah. half Yes, it was. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Most of my complaints had to do with the second half. Yes. Uh, but she just thanks us for the recommendation. It is that movie sits right in a pocket that we love. And thank you, Noreen, for reaching out. It it sits right in a pocket that we love, Tony, of like movies that people might miss. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I also, you know what? Thank you, Noreen, uh, for two reasons, just for writing in and saying hi, first of all. But second of all, um, you know, I'm really glad that you took what maybe some people might have considered to be kind of a bad review from us and and took it as a recommendation to see it because that's mm -hmm. really what was intended you know sometimes we'll we'll you know argue the fine points and nerd out about stuff and it sounds like we're coming down heavily and even if we don't put something on the shelf like we said last week that's not necessarily a comment on whether we'd recommend you see it if you happen to like this kind of movie so I'm yes. glad that you I'm glad that you saw something based on on our, yeah. on our show and that's really cool. I think we did I think we were clear that at the end that like this is not a horrible movie. Uh it just didn't quite make the shelf and we recommended actually people watch it. I think I suggested like getting under a fleece with your loved one. Colleen gets freaked out under a fleece pretty much every night. You could stop anytime right now and it would probably be a good idea. Okay. Alan Stanger reached out to us via Facebook. Uh, he has his own great podcast, by the way. And uh, 
He said during the Arnold and Sly talk, he kept waiting for Maddie to do get to the chopper. He felt that was a big missed opportunity by me to not do the my Arnold get to the chopper. And I said, you know, Alan, I'm not here for your amusement. I'm not some clown that just dances around. And anytime you want me to say, get to the chopper. It's good that you clarify this kind of, you need to make yeah. it clear. You're not right. here for people's amusement. Right. You won't be pushed around. Right. You won't be just On- made to do whatever people want. Right. So if you want to hear someone do, get to the Java, then you have you them it, say, you know, get to the Java. Yeah. Or you can say it, but Maddie's no, not going to say no. it. That's exactly right. So thank you all. Um, Tony, this is a big one. This is a classic. So why don't we save the mechanics, the minutia of our podcast for another episode. And let's get right to our Halloween classic. Or is it Nightmare? on Elm Street. Whatever you do, don't fall If you don't know Freddy Krueger by now, you're listening to the wrong podcast. Of course, we all know Nightmare on Elm Street, 1984, Wes Craven. It's considered by some, by many, maybe, nay, by most, perhaps, a horror classic, an all-timer. But Tony, we're going to dive a little deeper into Nightmare on Elm Street. So let's start with this. I mentioned last week, I haven't seen this movie in years all the way through. Um, I've, of course, seen many scenes of it many times. It's on TV. You see retrospectives with clips of Freddy. We all see Freddy all the time. I'm coming to get you. I thought of Jimmy Durante a lot. It's hard not to. I ruined it. So let's just back up before we get into our review and then nitty gritty. Um, when is the last time you've seen it all the way through? Before um, this, before this, I I think I saw it about th- three years ago, three okay. or four years ago. So not too long ago. Not too long ago. And what the? Why would you revisit a movie like that? Like, just curious. Like, on what occasion did you watch Nightmare on Elm Street? Did what? You know, like, were you just like, oh, I haven't seen this in a while, or because was it's, there a reason? It's nighttime and there's a movie to watch. I don't know. I mean, I don't really need a lot of reasons to revisit movies. I see. I see a lot of stuff again and again, um, right. but it was probably around Halloween time because I'll tend to do sure. like runs of movies. And this isn't something I would, I don't own this one, so I don't put it okay. on all the time, but. Um, That's what I was wondering. Like, in other words, I guess what I'm, I guess the spirit of my question is, um, I see you watching The Exorcist for the 67th time all the yeah. way through before I'd see you watching Nightmare on Elm Street for the fourth time. All you're hundred percent okay. right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So um, let's just get into it. Um, and I think I want to take this more linear. Why don't we follow the plot a little bit? Uh, because we've been, as I've been editing these, I'm like, boy, we're, it's pretty clear how we're we feel about this movie right off the bat. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to keep it close to the vest. So yes, go ahead. <laughs> yes. So I was shocked by how bad the first act was and most of the first act. And I always kind of put it in this, in my memory, Again, because the last time I saw it all the way through, I was a much younger person, probably a, probably pretty much a kid on video. And I put it in this kind of upper echelon in my mind of like, whoa, this is like scary horror. This is good horror. And I always put it way above Friday the 13th, things like that. And I'm like, oh, no, like this is really bad, quote unquote, like, the you know, um, it's at that level. It's at a Friday 13th level, the performances, the motivations, the character development, the overwrought bad guy, you know, like the dream alley. Uh, she's in an alley being chased by Freddie. It comes off unintentionally funny or maybe not unintentionally funny. I don't know what Wes Craven was going for, but it kind of made me laugh. But then, but then Tina dies. It's the first real death we see. And to me, and you know, end of the first act, let's say approximately it's like, Whoa, that felt like a bit of a dividing line for me in this movie. And although it continues to make those type of maybe unintentionally funny things as it goes on, it's never quite the same. It, I think it does rise above the level of like a Friday the 13th at that point, that death to me was an incredible kill as they say in the horror world and it kind of blew me away i kind of forgot about it and to me it's a line in the sand moment in that movie well it's it's out of nowhere and and you're not expecting it because there is this kind of um slightly childish 
approach to the story so far. And I, and I'm not, I'm, I don't even mean that as a diss. I mean, like it feels a little bit like um, an after school special in a way we were talking about another f- movie recently. Yes. I forget what it was. Oh, um, yeah. But the fact that, that this murder happens, um, you know, kind of late in the game, it's the first big event like it in the movie. It's the first, kill really in the movie i think maybe not but it's certainly the first one that we're we really witness yeah and and it it it, it's it's it shocked me it shocks me every time i see it and particularly it's the kind of thing that doesn't work outside of watching the whole movie like you can see it on a bunch of top 10 lists and you see that sequence up against other really horrifically graphic sequences and it holds its own but it but it's like oh yeah that's what friday the third that's what elm street is all about Yes. And then you watch it and part of, and you know me, I like subversive movies. I know. And, um, and I really feel that's a really subversive, great, you know, weird thing that Wes Craven does in this movie is he's delivering this very kind of, you know, teen aged, uh, teen preoccupied, um, light, you know, very kind of like light Coke light, you know, atmosphere and then this girl gets killed in her dream and it comes into reality and it goes on for so long and then it Hmm. gets worse and worse and worse and worse and she's she's flipping upside down on the walls like being carried upside down to the ceiling and then blood is spraying everywhere there's more blood in that sequence than in most horror movies and yes and um it's when it's over you you're you don't really know what to do because you have to recalibrate what you're watching you really have to sit there and go whoa wait a minute i i thought i was watching something different and at that level you know i think there's something genius going on with this movie i really do um my relationship with it has changed over the years funny i think i was a little old for it when it came out Mm. um coming out in 84 i was like i was a junior in in 45 I was a junior in high school, Maddie, and take it seriously just once. Sorry, just when we're talking sorry. about. Sorry, anytime you throw me a softball about your age, you know I'm this way. It's what I do. <laughs> um, so I was a little old for it. I mean, I'm already saying I'm old for it. So then you pile on top of that another joke about me being old, and it's just yeah. kind of like makes you feel makes you look insecure. I think is what it. Oh is. yeah, no, I don't. My listen. Think of my soul like five sharp blades on a glove. Not thinking of your, I'm not thinking about your soul. I'm going to not do that. When it came out, I guess I saw it on cable or something. I was a little old for it. I was already watching movies like A Clockwork Orange and, you know, Man Bites Dog and really horribly, horrible, like way creepier things than this, I thought. Right. Um, And I, so I kind of dismissed it as for kids, really, you know? And there's a lot about it that is, but that's kind of mm. what's cool about it. As I've gotten older and I, I, I can appreciate it because I don't feel like the kid part is talking down to me anymore. Cause I don't feel like a kid. I don't feel like he's the movie's not really aimed at me. So I can kind of objectify it a little bit and see mm. how, it's, how it works now. Um, and I guess I think I'm in love with it on a conceptual level and not so much on the actual film itself level, but I got you. What it's trying to do and where it's where it succeeds sometimes is is pretty fantastic. I thought. So two questions, one and then a follow up. So you agree with me that kill is kind of a, a major line, major major well, okay. line. It crosses a line. It definitely crosses a line into um, into territory that feels like you are in unsafe hands, which, as I've said before, exactly my favorite horror uh, vibe. So my follow up is. Do you think that Wes Craven then was kind of on purpose uh, throwing us a, a one-two punch of like oh, typical teen slasher fun camping with it? Like, whoa, hold on to your hats. Yes. That ain't this. Yeah, I yeah, do I too. think it was perfectly conscious. I think he's definitely smart enough to pull that off on purpose. Great. And, and that's going to help with the rest of my review because I wanted to see if you... And you know what it reminded me of a little bit? I just thought of the comp is... Carrie and Carrie's going to come up later because there's a big Carrie vibe as we move through this movie. But it reminded me of that opening scene we talked about in Carrie, in the locker room scene. When you think it's one thing, you think it's this soft lens, voyeuristic, you know, 
expression of that type of thing. You think it's one thing. And then that blood scene and it's like, oh my God, that's not this. And I felt similar to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I agree. I mean, I, to me, Carrie is, is, you know, it, is 10 times the movie that Elm street is. I mean, it's, I'd agree it's De Palma kind of at his, at his best. And it's, it's, um, that's a movie I'll watch like every Halloween uh, without it, yeah. without doubt. taken much more seriously. I think. Yeah. Um, and I also don't think, I think that was aimed at an older teen audience than this yeah. was. Mm-hmm. I feel like the smart thing about this movie is that's kind of a gateway horror movie. Mm-hmm. I feel like, I think, I feel like it was aimed at, younger kids than Carrie was aimed for, you know? Yeah. Um, I feel like that murder was so intense. In fact, that, um, I feel like even the actors, as I was watching it, because as we've noted here on the show, you and I have been on many sets in our lives. And I felt like even the actors, like in my mind, this is what went through my mind. I'm like, these other actors were on set when they filmed this, or they saw the daily of it because I just saw all of them kind of change. And, and yes, their characters also change from the murder. I get that. But I'm talking on a personal level. The whole tone of the movie changes after that murder. Well, you know, it's hard to say. I I, I kind of feel like that might be true. Like, or I kind of maybe see what you're talking about. Um, but, you know, you don't know if they're shooting in or out of sequence. So yeah, it's hard to know it, for it's sure. It's more vibe. It's a, it's, an, it's a fantasy I made up, but I felt it. I just kind of felt it. Like, in other words, I guess another way to say it is like, you're making Friday the 13th. And you're like, this is awesome. This is fun. And oh, what brutal, what crazy death scene is going to come up. And we're rookie actors and all that. Mm. And then all of a sudden they saw that scene. They're like, oh, geez, what okay, kind of well, movie are we in here? I have a, I have a, que- I have a question about that. That's that. I mean, okay. So that's either something that the actors noticed in the dailies or whatever, and they're shooting in sequence and that happened. Or what's probably more likely is that's just good directing. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, it's totally possible mm-hmm, that that mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. that is Wes Craven thinking about what these characters would be like after experiencing something like that and being and being like, no, we're going to we we change the attitude about this. This is more serious after that. And so I'm just saying, like, that's the kind of thing that, you know, as a director, really Craven could take credit for. Yes. Arguably, one of the only things a director sometimes really does is. Yeah. To, you know, take care of that mood with the actors because they're not always DPs or right. You know, camera people. Um, so, you know, I don't, I, I feel like, I, I don't know. I don't know why I'm making a point of this out of the say, then I think Wes Craven is underestimated sometimes. And I know sure. I, I underestimated him until I went back to see his early movies. Um, and I, cause I saw Elm street and people under the stairs and swamp thing and you know then scream of course i think huh. not before scream but i mean that first group of movies i saw before i saw last house on the left yeah or hills have eyes and i don't uh-huh. know if you've seen those movies. i have i've seen both of those and scream like if you see last house on the left which is his first movie and then you see hills have eyes these are these are horrifying experiences. yeah hills have eyes is- Crazy. These are not movies for kids. These are, you know, right. especially Last House on the Left is is one of the most brutal movies ever made. It's yeah. it's just it's unremittingly horrifying. It's yeah. it's it feels like a snuff film. It feels mm. real. It doesn't you really feel like the makers of this movie must be insane. Mm. Um and it it's a gut punch. And then you kind of read up about it and you realize that a lot of its inspiration was from a Bergman movie. So mm. like there's this really kind mm. of artfulness in terms of how his movies are conceived despite them being this early ones being like really nasty late night like drive-in nightmare movies right the fact that he went you know he's making his first like hollywood film to try to widen his audience with elm street and then he chooses to put that scene in yeah which is like worse than the stuff from his first movies yeah That's, that's that's a bold crazy move yeah i love that Something else that struck me right off the bat, opening scene, which is a flashback in, as it were, to Freddy's character, um, which we don't really realize at the time. But, like, right off the bat, I felt like he had a sense that he was on to a mythic slasher of all time. 
the glove, you know, the attention of the glove and the sweater and all those things that have become so iconic. Uh, the hat. It's like those things become iconic later, usually. You know what I mean? And and I felt like to start the movie, like, like he had an idea, like this this thing's going to freak people yeah. out. I've created a, a real monster here. Yeah. I'm going to, these things are going to be iconic symbols. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> that's for sure. I mean, there's a strength in his choices. The thing about him is that you see him like make really strong choices. <clears throat> like for instance, the look of this character, you know, this silhouette, the, 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 the sweater. Um, and uh, you can see them being like really strong choices that other directors would be afraid to make or that you might think studios would fight him on this or that. And he just must have been pretty tough about what he believed in. A lot of times in those movies, be it the hockey mask, whatever, like those things were kind of, or even the Mike Myers right. mask came from because they couldn't find a mask and they used a William Shatner mask and all that. Like it kind of comes later and it becomes this like, it felt like he had that right off the bat, almost like as a goal, like the, this glove and this sweater and this yeah. hat are going to be yeah. thing. The glove is kind of a masterstroke. Uh, <laughs> Cause I, I don't know, I don't know where he got that. Cause he wrote this too, you know? So mm. he's a real writer, director, you know, writer, creator right? and a director, creator. And um, I do know that the, that the hat and the character though, the, the kind of the concept of the character came from a real life experience that he had. Wow. Um, so, and this, do you know, with, do you know what I it saw was? an interview with him talking about um, when he was a little kid, he lived in some kind of an, uh, an apartment complex um, where I guess he could see people coming and going on the street. And <clears> at night he heard some noise and he looked out the window and saw there was this like really decrepit, scary local kind of, you know, drunk guy who mm. was kind of not a hobo, but like, you know, he, I think he lived in the complex, but maybe in the basement somewhere. He was just a kind of a local character. And he said he like crept up under the window and he saw him kind of lurching down the street, probably coming from the bar. And then he turned around and he kind of felt that he was being looked at. And so the guy turned around and they and saw little Wes Craven in the window looking out and they locked eyes. And he said the guy kind of smiled at him like he he, he had this. Um, he, he said he had this kind of quality of, of enjoying scaring kids like he yeah. kind of liked it. Yeah. And he said that really scared him and try I know I'm paraphrasing the story a little bit, but he said that event stuck with him all those years and that that was the idea of this of this character and he even had a hat like that. Like the fedora was what this guy wore. The sweater, you know, great idea cuz it's just it's got so much character and it's not what you think of when you think of crazy killer. It's like It almost looks innocent. Yeah, it's childlike. Childlike. But the colors he described, you know, as finding the two colors that go least together on the palette, like so that the the kind of red and blue it is, is is actually uh, like the physics of your eye doesn't really like to right. see those colors together. Right, 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 right. So he's really thinking deeply about how to how to make this character kind of get under your skin using stuff from his childhood and stuff from science that how to actually create something that would scientifically unnerve you. Mm. That's brilliant. The and that what he left out of story is that old man turned to him and looked at him and went, I wish I could sing like Durante. <laughs> now you bring it. This is a really good point because I want to ask you about this. We've talked all about this, right? Yeah. Does the character ultimately as great as it is in mm. certain respects, mm -hmm. does it work for you? So funny how you change as a human being. Like I remember being a kid and, and I don't, you know, couldn't have been a theater. It had to be video, I guess, 85 or 86 or whatever. It came out in 84, but I must've seen it. I was in eighth grade or whatever. And I just remember seeing the, an image of him and then the one, two, Freddy's and just going like, nope, 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 nope. And and scared the crap out of me. Um, put it this way: it works, but not in a um, scary way, but in an intellectual understanding of what he was doing way, like a film fan way. Okay. And so, like for example, let me give. I can personify it for you. I could not watch when we did The Exorcist, like the scene of Father Karras listening to the recordings. I stopped it and had to watch it in the day. I could not watch it alone at night in my bed. I couldn't. I knew I wouldn't sleep. This I watched alone, you know, just enjoying it and no fear at all. So it, it, 
it doesn't work on that level, but it works on a lot of other levels. It's a brilliant character. Yeah, that's what I was saying, I guess, when I was like at the beginning saying that conceptually, I think I'm yes. in love with it. Yes. But but it doesn't really work, you know, outside of that one murder that we see that's so horrific and that kind of then colors the rest of the movie because you're always waiting for it to get that horrifying right. again. Right. Um, I don't really get afraid. I don't really get, I'm not scared of that character. And I don't know if that's, you know, something about Robert Englund, who I don't find to be an intimidating presence. I mean, I think he's brilliant. He's, he's, right. he's, he's really great in this part, but he leans into the comedy a little bit uh, too much definitely. for me. Definitely. The way and he runs is actually comical. And yeah, yeah. And I, and, and I don't, and that's the part where I don't know if, Craven was like in complete control of it. If he thought it was going right. to read as creepy, but it right. didn't, or that he right. wanted to tone it down for the younger audience, I, I wasn't sure. Yes, it gets like a bad Roger Moore movie with the quips and the jokes, which start like in this first one. Usually, they're you're like two or three, you know, um, uh, you know, part two or three <laughs> before they start joking start, at that level. Right, right, right. Start doing that. Um. You mentioned the sweater colors. I, I also thought it was like a little bit of Christmas colors and the bastardization maybe of that and um, the turning over in its head. And there's a lot of crosses in this movie. I also found, and this might be stretching way too much, but I couldn't, well, I, it just came to mind. So I'm going to say it, you know, the falling asleep thing and specifically between friends, uh, so her boyfriend and girlfriend, she tells Johnny Depp, the Johnny Depp character, do not fall asleep. The first thing he does is fall asleep. And all I could think of is the New Testament account of Christ before the crucifixion asks his uh, apostles to just stay awake while I go pray in the garden. And the account is he goes and prays and they say he actually sweats blood because he's praying so hard, which as it turns out, there's Perhaps that's scientific. what that, that's you're doing that right now. I'm sorry, I got confused. I do that. I do that every time we disagree in a movie. I sweat blood, and he prays so hard he sweats blood, according to the account in the New Testament. And then he returns to his disciples, and what are they doing? They're all sleeping, and he gets quote unquote mad. Um, so I just couldn't stop thinking about that and all the Christian imagery in this. And it begs to mind, like, why did he, it's so funny. Like, why did he go there when I saw all the crucifixes? And then I couldn't stop thinking about that account of don't fall asleep. I need you now. Don't fall asleep. Be a friend, be awake for me. And the kid can't stay awake. And I wonder if maybe Wes Craven, some part of his subconscious in Sunday school, hearing that story, uh, because there's really not a Christian angle to the story. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, well, I don't, I'm not a Christian scholar, like, like some people in the room here, what I mean, I'm is, a little not, at a disadvantage. It's but, not, a, it's not like the exorcist. You expect to see crucifixes, um, a movie about the possession of Emily road. You expect to see it. Yeah. But I mean, this is, I mean, uh, you know, uh, this is the embodiment of evil. So I would imagine like showing, a, you know, showing the, uh, this is very much about good versus evil. This movie. I mean, there's a, this is a character who is just evil through and through there, This isn't somebody who was good once. You know who who is going to be redeemed. This isn't Darth Vader. This is this mm. is somebody who was horrible when they were alive, and they're worse now when they're a demon from mm. another world. Yeah, so that's really what they are. He's a disembodied, you know, serial killer who used to be a serial killer. Now he's even worse because he's got mm. essentially demonic powers, which I think are evidenced by the fact that people die in real life. I mean, that yeah, you know. It's not like sh this this poor girl just is the only person who sees the blood in that sequence. Everybody right. who comes into the right. room sees the aftermath of it. So yes, he's supernatural, and um, so he's pure evil. I, I I get that. I also think Wes Craven. I mean, I don't know what you know about him. I don't want to mansplain anything to you, sir. You are man enough on your own. I'm sweating blood again, but um do you know he he didn't really make movies until he was like 30 or something he'd he'd become a school teacher i think he was an english teacher he was like a you know a professorial kind of guy and he was very into literature and mythology and wow. and was consciously putting this stuff into his movies um you know uh maybe sometimes that was the reason he'd make some of these films hmm. you know 
So I, I don't think it's out. I think it's reasonable. He, he would know that he would know that and be aware of that. Yeah. Cause it, it, it was very, you know, mixed with the Christian imagery um, and that whole plot line. That's the original, you know, the greatest story ever told, as they say, the old, the, the new Testament, you know, so it's like, right. don't fall asleep, please be my friend, right. be here for me. And then the kid just falls asleep. And then by the way, he gets his, uh, right. Oh boy. Yeah. So and isn't yeah. in the New Testament, there's also a, a, a mother character who drinks too much and hides bottles of Tito's yes. in, her, in her bed. Yes. Yes. And then, uh, yes, Jesus' brother, Durante. Yeah. Yeah. I wish they wouldn't kill my brother. <laughs> I'm Christian. I can do that. I can totally get into the movie that that the 11-year-old snuck in to see. Totally. Like this, totally. I, I, it's terrifying. I like wherever, Whenever it's not working for me, when I watch this movie, I am aware of the 12 year old that it's working for. Absolutely. And it's a great gateway to horror for them. And I, I, I admire it for that. I admire it like, okay, it's not going to scare me, but it definitely would scare the hell out of somebody who is primed to see their first, yes. you know, legit scary movie for, for a younger audience. And I think us making it the Halloween special is perfect because although if I want to be scared on the night before Halloween and watch a movie with friends, I'm going to pick Halloween or, you know, session nine or exorcist or whatever is on our list of movies that scare us. But I would definitely include this because it is so iconically American horror and of a time and of a place. And it was great fun. Your brother said something in your recent review on your other podcast about snakes in a plane. And he said, no, 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 I didn't. You said you, you know, you said something like, oh, you hated this movie. And he said, no, I, and he said, you know what? I hated the movie, but I loved watching it. And there's a lot of that in this for me. I, not that I hated it. I didn't hate it. But do you know what I mean? It, 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 I enjoy watching this movie. It didn't scare me, quote unquote. Yeah, it's uh, such uh, a fun Halloween movie. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that that if you took the if you took the the if you took away its job of having to scare you, right? If you watched it and just decided you were watching a fantasy, yeah. you know, for instance, if, a, yes. about a brave young girl, yes, you you would actually probably walk away with a lot more affection for the movie itself, uh, yes, because it's not doesn't really work to me like a harm it doesn't scare me or unnerve me when i see it and it never did it i wasn't I, I never saw it young enough to really get under my skin like i said right right um but i you know we've talked a lot about other things L i mean let's talk about for me one of the main reasons it does work and that's it's that's langenkamp i mean i think heather langenkamp she's a she's an untested actress she doesn't she's doesn't really know what she's doing she's not great yet but she is so committed and so um, available and working with Wes Craven on this. Like, they're really making the same movie together. Yes. I've seen interviews with her where she was very respectful of him and they had a good working relationship. And I think yeah. it was like a good good vibe on the set with the actors. And she, you know, watching somebody who, who you know, may be a really green actor, but is just so coming from the right place to to deliver something. And I think just it makes sense that she became a a, a great scream queen and that she became yeah. a great icon of horror because I think about like um, what, what what kind of that's a great powerful message for a young girl to see this movie. I mean, she's such a hero. She's like she's like Ripley and Alien. I mean, she really kicks ass in a pretty believable way. And I think that um, outside the Home Alone stuff, <laughs> there's some stuff that gets. It ridiculous this, this movie gave birth to home alone i yeah, didn't did. realize that until this viewing <laughs> absolutely um she becomes macgyver um, it's like macgyver home alone but you're yeah. right her her line readings at time are really times are really bad but never not present right There's her heart's of, in the right place yes her eyes are she's in there she's yeah. there she's believable yeah. the line reading ain't great yeah but there's a lot of actors in this type of movie who have bad line readings and their eyes are dead. They're just not good yeah. actors and they're not present. Sure. He was always locked in. She was always believable. Yeah. And, and, and always sympathetic. I wanted to see yes. her succeed. I really didn't want to see bad stuff happen to her. Yes. Um, I, I, um, and, and she has a great look in the movie. Like she doesn't look fussed over. She's not, you know, hyper sensualized or anything. Nope. It's, it's really like a real person, like a real yes. 
kid on that block. Yeah, real teen, yeah. She, so, yeah, she uh, delivers I, lines like I a teen I appreciated would. a lot of that. You know, where, where it goes off the rails a little bit is with, like, you know, Johnny Depp and that. Like, I don't, I don't know, you know, that's a, that's, that's a part you're like, this guy, if you saw this, you're like, one of these people is going to be the most famous person for 20 years. Like, who's it going to be? You'd, I don't think you'd pick him. I don't think you would have thought, like, he's the breakout star of this movie. Well, uh, how dare you, Tony? I'm actually a musician. Uh, I'm not sure if you're aware of that. I'm a guitarist. I'm an actor <laughs> second. I'm working on my Je- uh, Johnny Depp after the divorce. I, um, yeah, yes, look, I man, I, I just, I, I don't want to, you know, bust I mean, on anybody. I'm just yeah. like, it's just a funny thing. Like, he, yeah, he clearly I, I gotcha. didn't want to be in that movie. He yeah, didn't yeah. really want to be. I, I, that's yeah. not telling tales out of school. Um, he I mean, he never goes to bat for it. You don't hear him right. like going like, oh, I'm glad I started with that movie. Like, he's embarrassed about that and 21 Jump Street. So, right, right. And it shows like he didn't yeah. want to be there. Right. His death, though, since we talked about the opening death, another incredible death in this film that, again, is jarringly not like the rest of the film. It seems like um, so much blood again. I, 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 I know this is an obvious thing for me to say, but. I've spent a lot of time on Reddit chains about this movie. So I'm sorry it's been said a million times, but it's complete the shining. Um, the way the blood flows, it's just like a nod to the shining. I, I would assume. I would think so. I would think so. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's something about how that room is turning up. So how they're using the upside down room to yeah. spray the blood around in an unnatural way that, yeah. that is even freakier than her flipping up yes. upside down on the wall, you yes. know, cause that's like a nod to Hollywood. You can nerd out about that because that's like, you know, Fred Astaire did that in a movie. That's, right. that's how they did dancing on the, you know, on the ceiling and the, how they uh-huh. did inception and how they made 2001. And this is Wes Craven used it. Fun same shot. effect for, yeah. for this, incredibly horrific moment where yeah. i'm like ah, it's just genius and he did it in both scenes i you know the second time when it happens to depp it's not it lacks the impact of when it happens to the it first does. girl it does partly because and let me just say uh if you're listening to us in a car you're not being pursued by the authorities that is tony's brooklyn uh, that's my ride I'm, are... I'm in a car i'm in that <laughs> car right now uh uh that is uh you're right her scene is much more intense um, for several reasons, I think one of which is we don't see his body. Uh, he gets sucked into the bed and we only see the blood. Her yeah. body is on full display in a disturbing, unnatural way. Again, you know, another influence is, is Joe Beth Williams and poltergeist. Is that her name? Joe Beth Williams. Yeah. The way she gets sucked up the side of the wall and then up on the ceiling. Yeah, and we, that, even do down to there. seeing her underwear and the shirt. Um, no blood in that case, but this was clearly a, a nod to that and disturbing, more disturbing, next level, if you will. Yeah. You know, when they when the movie wants to get weird, it gets pretty weird. You know, yeah, Freddie. It does. I apologize for these sirens. This is, okay. I hope everything's okay. I, yeah, okay. I, I, I interjected right and said that because one day I was listening to us driving and I'm like, oh, oh, oh. And I was like, oh, no, it's yeah. just on the podcast. It's not um, an actual siren. <laughs> I think it's cool. It speaks to your street cred, Tony. You're in Brooklyn. You're a filmmaker. Okay. Thank you. I sold out years ago. When to rhode island thank you for noticing you are in the heart of it you walk uh, the walk i'm a street i'm a live on the street i have the pulse of the streets are in my blood what can i say you know that billy deal wheels behind you with sly stallone <laughs> don't scare me like that um yeah man uh you know uh the nighthawks it's it's yes. it's it's just uh it's got more going on in it than yeah. then you can't dismiss it, you know. No, I I tried to dismiss this movie for years, and I, and I I going back to it. Uh, there's there's too many smart things going on. There are ridiculous things. There are ridiculous things. Can we talk about some of those, please? Some of the things that are just like <laughs> inexplicable, and I don't think Wes Craven really cared, and I don't even mean that pejoratively necessarily. Uh, for example, like a huge part of the plot is that she's locked inside the house because of the bars. But I mean, you're locked in the house. There's not many houses that you have to ask for the keys to get out. Like the that makes kind of no sense, but it needed to happen for the plot to be as it played out. And I don't really think he particularly cared. I don't um, think he cared. I don't little things uh, like no, that. Right? I mean, yeah, I, I only interject now because there's a in looking at it again this time, I thought it was pretty unclear when we're in dream and not at that point. So it really all could be dream. 
Like that yeah, could the, not be really happening at all. Right. And the None final shot things. speaks to that. It becomes so convoluted and mex- messed up. Yeah. Um, what's a dream and what's not. So she's her supposed- being locked in her own house might be part of the dream logic and not. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's where it just gets. And, and that on that level, it could work. But but then if we don't know, maybe that's part of his thing is like, you don't know and you'll never know. And her driving away in the car could all be still part of it. They could all be dead, which is very carry like that last scene with the mother Look, in the house. Yeah, go ahead. It's an antidote to what I was talking about the other day about yeah. these about these um, horror movies that are masquerading as horror movies. But they're really like movies about self-empowerment. Yes. About overcoming evil. Yes. It's not a horror movie. Right. It's an adventure movie. I totally buy it, but it's not a horror movie. This movie has its cake and eats it too. It gives yeah. us a, a heroine that we can believe in, that we totally want to see win, that is empowered through her own actions, and it still tells us that this is a terrifying ending. It could all be for naught. It and could all be for naught. That's a horror movie. Yeah. That's great. That's great. I, horror. I, it's so funny. I wrote down my notes like, I don't. It's so it's perfect because this is how I wanted to end it. Actually, it was like when that car pulls away, I go, wait a second here. Are we in the dream or not? Now, in most movies, that would make me angry. What are the rules? What are we doing? I love that I didn't know the rules and that was a bit of a mess and that I don't know what's a dream and what's not. It worked. Yeah. It worked. It needed to happen like that. This well, is a demon we're dealing with. Without without like uh, announcing the fact that it's a puzzle movie or it's got a Shyamalan twist to it, it really does. You mm-hmm. don't really know. You have to go back and start thinking, when did the dream start? Hmm. When did it start? Mm. Did she ever wake up from this? And, you know, I, I, there may be a point where you can really pinpoint it, but just having seen it a couple days ago, I can't really tell you. I'm like, it just feels like it slips into a nightmare itself and becomes yeah. one, you know? Yes. Yes. Um, some more influences that came to mind, the shining with the blood, uh, MacGyver, her becoming, <laughs> yeah. Um, the Exorcist. There's a lot of Exorcist yeah, nods in the in hospital. Absolutely, the hospital scene. Um, her going down to the basement, the crucifixes. Um, sometimes the way she was dressed, some of the stuff on the bed. Um, I thought of you know, of course, uh, Bride of Frankenstein with the gray streaks in her hair. That's right? a good call. Yeah, that's a really good call. And, and the way her hair is curled. Um, mm-hmm. Sorry, that's my phone. Poltergeist on the walls, obviously. Halloween, final chase, and the neighborhood itself. It's very Halloweeny. It's suburban, but also the, in the final chase with her and Freddie, she's running down the stairs of the basement. It literally does. It becomes for the first time a very Halloween score, very Carpenter. And I, I wonder if that was a nod to John Carpenter. I assume it, it would be also. Um, I maybe would, not. I, I, I know. I mean, probably. I don't know if it's a nod, but I think they were. He set the template for how horror movies were sounding, and a lot of people were just kind of doing some of those things naturally because it sounded like horror at the time yeah i made a note because the music was so like uh you know off key and very synthesized and very very 80s at time almost comical where it was like silly for the chase scene Mm -hmm. a little too campy Mm -hmm. but then that one scene where she's running down the stairs it i literally was like wait am i watching halloween so it's like he waited he waited yeah. until his stakes were really high. Yeah. And then he threw out it's the It's smarter than you think it is. It yeah. keeps on uh-huh. creeping up on you, you know? Um, I, I mean, you know, for me, the stuff that's just hysterical is the way that they handle the mom's drinking. I mean, I know oh. this might be a touchy subject for some people, but it, I, I honestly, it's the funniest. <laughs> like, uh, I, <laughs> she's just hiding bottles of vodka in every scene. <laughs> and like awkwardly positioning herself, like trying to move yeah. her, her back to it so that her daughter won't see it. It's clearly frozen vodka, like right out of the freezer. Pristine bottles. She brings one out of her out of the... bed, of her comforter <laughs> in her bed. bed. Oh, God. Like, what are you trying to say here, Wes? Yeah. She's drinking vodka and smoking in the hospital and she's watching her daughter. And she's like, so tell me, doctor, what are dreams anyway? I'm unclear. Fleischer says, like, we don't really know what dreams are. It's pretty great. (laughs) I wonder line when she goes, when she looks at her, uh, looks herself in the mirror of the young girl and she goes, oh, God, I look 20 years old. (laughs) Great line, though. So funny. So good. So funny. Um, Okay, so here's my here's here's what I think is a bona fide problem with the movie. Um, It makes no sense that her mother was spoilers here. 
Yeah. Okay. So spoilers, spoilers, whatever. Four. I think we're okay. It, it makes no sense that her mother would have 20 years ago killed this guy because she doesn't have any kids that are over 16 years old. So she point. wasn't a mother 20 years ago. She was just a vigilante who killed yes. him, which I don't know yeah. if that's on purpose or not. Right. But I thought it really, that part of it doesn't really go anywhere. But it's more interesting if it were her grandparents. It also yes. doesn't give enough time for me to believe society forgot about him and then created a song that kids sing that don't, like they would have known what this was based on if it had been that recent. So I didn't buy that backstory. The mythology was awful quick, yeah. Uh, yeah. And in fact, it didn't necessarily need it any more than a hint that this guy may have been really there and he was a child right. killer. Like, Right. We got it. Yeah, I totally agree. Are you saying you, we got it to me that I should shut up? Or are you saying no, no, the like we got, got it? Yeah, we got it, Tony. Zip it. No. <laughs> Button it. Um, anything else, Tony, as we kind of uh, do our final votes here? Well, you know, one point against it is I've, I don't think I've ever seen a John Saxon movie where they didn't really let John Saxon, you know, Saxonize this performance. Didn't even, didn't even think about that. He, he looks like he's, he effect. looks like he's wondering why they called him for this movie a little bit. A hundred percent. He's like, am I going to use martial arts or no? Do I get to kick in the ass? No. You okay. guys know that I fought Bruce Lee, right? Right. No? Do we, okay. Yeah, MH just should have made that uh, clear. Let's play the suburban dad. You just saw the Mentos commercial. Okay. Let's go. Totally wasted. Absolutely agreed. Um, and, you know, this was actually the humorous effect, uh, I'm sure, subversive humor. But when she's yelling out through the bars of the dumb cop and she's like, please come save me. And he's like, oh, everything's okay. Yeah, we're just no stop one, screaming. We're, we got it under control. No one will get the dad. You're like, get the dad. Again, a little Halloween-y when she's going to the neighbors like, help me. Yeah. And they just shut the light yeah, off, you know, yeah. a little bit of that. They did. I mean, they they really, you know, Wes really brings in the new, uh, not new, but the kind of old 50s idea, which isn't in a lot of these other horror movies, including Halloween, except for that one moment mm. of nobody believing the kids. Yes. The teenagers yes. like nobody believes them. And yes. that that is a great element yes. that's uh, in a lot of classic 50s horror that that Bad was stakes. missing from the slasher stuff in the 70s, except completely, for this. Completely, completely agree. I got a quick story about the house itself, the Elm Street house where she lives, the the bars on the windows. I was doing, I had a radio show in Boston for a while, a few years back. I had a young producer who's a horror nut. His nickname was Stiz. And uh, he was our producer. And we went to L.A. for a fight, for a big heavyweight fight. He was like, ah, I want to go see the Freddy house. I'll, it's right near us here in L.A. And I go, dude, you know what? You're a great producer. You're working your butt off. I want you to have a good time. I said, get an Uber. I'll pay for it. And he's like, all right. Oh, awesome. You know, it was like 11 minutes away from where we were or something, or like 17 minutes away. So he sends a picture right in front of the house. He's in front of the Freddy house, right? And he's taking the picture. He's all psyched, doing the show. I get an alert. It's like, bling. I get an alert from Uber. It's like 190 bucks. I thought it was going to be like 26. <laughs> so it's a miracle that I like this movie. Wow. Like, what the, where the f did you go? He's like, yeah. I, it took like an hour. And I was like, oh, so right. LA prime me. time. Totally yeah. forgot. We're at $112. Do you want to keep going? <laughs> yeah. uh, shout out to you, Stiz. Good Lord. Don't take an Uber in LA. <laughs> Um, all right, Tony, I think we have to vote here. I got a hard out at 4.30-ish. It's not ish if it's a hard out. No. Um, anything else that you want to say about this movie before we vote? Well, not with a, no, not with a, a mandate like that. Let's just get to it. <laughs> anything else you want to say really fast? No, right. no. Um, well, I, 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 I just, all kidding aside, I want to make sure that you didn't leave anything off the table that you really want to say about this movie. I, I think that uh, there's, we could talk about this movie a lot. I think there's a lot to unpack. I love the way it handles um, sexual fear. Uh, I think it without, without mm. making it explicitly about that, mm. it actually really is kind of about that almost more than anything to me. Um, like mm. teenage sex panic and AIDS, mm. AIDS era kind of like vibe about fear of sex. Mm. I mean, that's in a lot of these movies, yeah. but I just think this is, this is handled more interestingly than than some. There's some yeah. weird things about it that that uh, that aren't uh, obvious that I thought were clever. Um, yeah, in too many of those, when they deal with that, it's like the kids are directly and obviously punished for having sex, right? And, and that's not this. That's not this. It it has to do more with like the fear of it, the fear yeah. of growing, of becoming an adult, or right. something. Uh, right. Um, being on that, that threshold of it. Uh, yes. Which yes. I think it kind of deals with well. That's that was yeah. it. That All was right, it. great. Um, 
end of the day, we'll get to our top three list here, top three sweaters of all time. But before we do, Tony, Nightmare on Elm Street, iconic. But is it iconic enough? Is it good enough to go on our shelf? Um, this is I wrestled like crazy with this. Um, Same here. Because this then this may be a weird one for me in the sense that I think I'm going to put it on the shelf, even though I have out of sheer respect. And I don't have a personal love for this movie, but I, I, I really respect what it's doing. And I think it has more paranormal, uh, you know, uh, supernatural qualities than a lot of the movies of this time. So I, I can't come up with a good reason to not really is the thing. So I'm going to, I'm going to give it a P for paranormal. I had the parakeeper ready to pull if you had not passed this, but we agree on this. I am going to put it on the shelf. I think it's too much Halloween fun. Any paranormal DVD collection or whatever it is we have, whatever shelf we have, I just want to see that symbol of Nightmare on Elm Street yeah. on there, even if it flies against the right. uh, you know well, face of whatever. I just want because to see I don't it. watch it every year or didn't buy this movie, uh, have a cherished copy of it. Doesn't mean that I don't think that it belongs on the shelf. I I just think it's uh, it's punching way above its weight class here in a, in a lot of ways. So I, I think Love it's it. cool. All right, Tony, we both gave it a P for Paranormal, so check it out. If you haven't seen it in a long time, you might be pleasantly surprised. Please, God. This is God. Let's do our top three sweaters of all time in film history, influenced, of course, by Freddy Krueger's iconic sweater. Tony, why don't you start? I think I started last week. Why don't you do your number three of all time? Okay, well, my number three would be uh, the sweater. It's a sweater and sweaters in a movie called Riders of Justice, huh. which is a, a Mads Mikkelsen movie. Never from saw it. 2020. Okay. Directed by Andre Thomas Jensen. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe it's a, it's from, I don't know where it's from, Sweden, Belgium. Mm-hmm. I'm going to screw that up. Mm-hmm. But it's a really great movie. I love it. And sweaters. Uh, play a huge part at the end oh, of this movie. Okay. And uh, I wouldn't give away why, but they, I don't think a sweater has ever made me laugh harder or packed a bigger punch. Wow. In a movie for me. I got it right here. Writers. Writers of Justice. Of Justice. All right. Great Matt Mickelson. Okay. Very recommended okay. movie. Love it. Um, my number three. Uh, oh, shoot. I always forget to do this. This might be your number one. So if it is, I'll edit this out. But I was thinking we need to, every week we do a top three, we kind of memorialize. Oh, yeah, let's do the memorial. Which, which is it for you? The sweater. I was thinking it's got to be the NASA sweater from The Shining, the little boy, little uh, Danny Torrance's NASA sweater, maybe. Well, uh, what that was my number one. Um, oh, all right. I'm going to edit that out because I don't want to blow the lead. But That's I mean, I, but I have a backup. So we can have, we can keep this whole conversation in because I do okay. think it may be, that may be the goat sweater. Uh, right. You know, so okay. sure. Sure. Unless your backup number one could be the no, memorial. my backup is is incredible. Don't you worry about my backup. Okay, all right. So the NASA sweater is the uh, we're going to name it after that. Um, my number three comes from a movie that we actually mentioned during this review, an iconic slasher movie in its own right, and that is the first Friday the Thirteenth. Jason's mom in that Irish kind of white. Big wool sweater. She had a I big mean, cardigan, right? A big, yeah. yeah. It's like a neck brace. Like it's just so good. It's somehow yeah. creepy. It was such a great costume design choice. Uh, just awesome. Like matronly, grandmotherly, and yet terrifying. And at yet same time uncomfortable, somehow. cozy, yes, and uncomfortable. Un- yes. Yeah. Fantastic. Good choice. That's Thank a deep you. cut too. I appreciate Thank that. You. Um, my number two. Um. I have to do a little switcheroo here. Okay, so my my number Bye. two is going to be um, uh, Bruce Willis in Die Hard Two. He wears mm. a Land's End sweater okay. as a hero in the beginning of this movie. Uh, it, it it looks like he just rolled out of bed. He's doing his laundry someplace. It's distracting. And he to, it's distractingly <laughs> yes. gray and cheap yes. and bad. And it's uh, I can't tell if I love it or hate it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was in the second one, so probably yeah, more, Die Hard Two. I probably, probably hate, it. hate. Yeah. Uh, great choice. Disturbing. Uh, my number two, can we go animated? These, these, nothing has stopped you before. Why are you asking me? You just do what you do. Uh, 
You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna bail on that. Tri- we go wait, t- triplets of Belleville is great sweaters. Well, I was thinking Velma from Scooby Doo, and it is a mystery show. It's a little paranormal. They have no. Ghosts. Come on, it's great. The orange sweater, it's Velma. It's right? a cl- it is a classic the first sweater. First thing that popped in my mind. It's great. All right. It's great. And I'm going with Velma for my number two. All right. So my number one. Yeah. Sweater of all time. Yeah. It's not really paranormal. Little Doesn't tiny, matter. little tiny bit, tiny okay. tiniest bit, but. It's got to you got to go for the Pendleton sweater and the big Lebowski. Oh, Lebowski sweater. It's, best best sweater ever. Made. I would completely agree with that. I almost would have called that the memorial sweater for this. Yes, I love it. I love it. Great choice. Uh, great look. He pulls it off. I want. I mean, I would look terrible in it. I want one. I just think they're. I, you know. I think you need the hair to wear that sweater. I think you need I, the long locks. I got a right? wig. I'll wear around the house when I Please. wear the sweater. That's a merkin. Mm. It's different. It's much different. It's American. Thought it was British. Uh, speaking of Merkins, actually, it's a great segue to my number one. The most disturbing sweater in film history. I've never been able to get it out of my mind. I still can't. <sighs> I don't even know if I can say it. It's Donald Sutherland's sweater in Animal House when he's wearing nothing but a sweater. And... He reaches up to get food, and we see more of Donald Sutherland than we ever wanted to see. Yeah. This is a paranormal podcast. There is no more uh, otherworldly moment in my young childhood than seeing Donald Sutherland's derriere. There is nothing normal about that. No. Or about how Maddie Maddie felt inside when he saw it. Nope. Confused, angry. Yeah. Strangely drawn. Strangely drawn to the film Mm -hmm. in ways... You became a serious Canadophile after that, I remember. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that is the definitive list of sweaters in movie history. I, I would like to add an honorable mention. Please. To uh, that dovetails nicely off your big Lebowski, because it's the same style sweater, but this guy did it first. And that is every once in a while, if you remember, if you're a Starsky and Hutch fan like I was, David Soul. And Paul Michael Glazer alternately would wear that style sweater. David yeah. Soul wore like a high school letterman jacket a lot, mm-hmm. but then he would pull out a sweater. And, and Paul Michael Glazer, Starsky, wore a leather jacket, but every like fourth episode, he wore that big Lebowski yeah, cable wore, sweater with the tie. Yeah. Where it was I a, loved it. It was acceptable for heroes to wear knitted, yes. knitted wool wear. Only badass cop in city history to wear. <laughs> wear fucking Stallone sweater has to have worn some crazy sweaters. Let me just Come think on. about. I'm that. surprised oh, oh, that you didn't. Yeah, no. Uh, Rocky Four. He wears a Thank like you. a Cosby sweater, like a Brilliant. 1980s Cosby sweater. I knew yeah. you would. I knew you'd know. I should. I could literally teach a class at your college about Stallone movies and the impact therein on society. If that was a thing, then you would be the guy for that thing. Tony, next week, you want to do that movie Prey on Hulu? The the, yes. pred- the Predator movie. Yes. A Hulu 2022 film. This comes from the world of Predator. Get to the Java. But a new version about a skilled Comanche warrior trying to protect her tribe from the Predator. I'm all in. Want to see it. Say a prayer because we're talking prey. That was terrible. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween, my friend. And happy Halloween, P4 Peers. This is our time. We hope you've enjoyed this edition of Rated P for Paranormal. Please rate, review, and share. It really does make a difference. For more information, to participate, and even donate, go to our main page, anchor.fm slash Rated Paranormal. On social media, we're at Rated Paranormal. All music is by Andrew Goldens Jr. You can find him on Instagram at KidRiga or go to therocketscience.bandcamp.com. This podcast was created, written, produced, and edited by Maddie Blake and Anthony Arkin. I got a heart out at 4:30 ish. You could stop anytime right now and it would probably be a good idea.
could have been the great pretender I once was lost but now I'm found on my way I may have burned a few bridges down I could have been someone could have been a real contender no no not once not twice not thrice as nice paid my price and that's why I could have been some